listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So it's interesting that song that we just sang a couple weeks ago when I was first introduced to what the sermon series is about. I could not get that song out of my mind, and uh, but you know who am I to ask that they actually use that song in worship? And so the Holy Spirit worked anyway, and Chris and I apparently had a little Holy Spirit telepathy because uh, that was the song we were doing for it. So that was excellent. Um, because this whole sermon series has been about as the whole way of the cross as it leads into Easter for us. Um, it's interesting, too, for this, you know, if you're new to us today, I should apologize. I am definitely the low man on the totem pole when it comes to speaking at the, the mission. So come back next week. Somebody who really does this for a living will, will be the one doing the speaking. Uh, it's funny, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm really old school and uh, my came from the Northeast. And so the uh, tendency when I speak is I usually dress up. And so this morning, literally, I thought, I, I have to do a little bit better getting to, like, the hipster vibe of our church. So I've got, like, the flannel on. And it, it worked so well. Like, usually when I'm dressed up, Danny says to me, oh, you can't do the offering today because you must be speaking. So I, I fooled him today. We're, we're good. So um, so thinking about this, this sermon series, though, uh, thinking about the, the symbol of the cross and how powerful it is to us as Christians, how, uh, what a visual... Uh, reminder it is of, of our faith. And actually this week I had a chance, uh, I was at Carlos and Teresa's house, and this first picture that's going to come up is a, is a picture of their wall at their house. And you know, as you come in, this is sort of what you see in their house. And so you have this visual reminder of the cross and what it's all about. And every day they get to see that. And I, I was really struck by its beauty. And uh, as I was thinking about other images of the cross, I was thinking, though, that, that our tendency as human beings uh, is that that cross becomes a little bit removed from what it's really all about, can become a little bit removed from the meaning of it. So I have a few other pictures of crosses that will come up, and you can sort of see that our tendency as human beings is that we've, we've perhaps stylized it a bit. There's a picture of, of what it might have looked like on the uh, Easter Sunday, keep going through those other pictures. You know, we have all these pictures that sort of, and what churches have done with it. Jewelry. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I was young, if there was ever an athlete that was wearing a cross, it was like, oh yeah, they might be a Christian. You know, it was like this sort of positive thing about them. And then, just thinking, this is just another image that was out there, like, you know, that's beautiful in a way, but it's, it's pretty stylized. So, and you wonder to what extent, as Christians, uh, as we see that picture of the cross, do we, have we made it devoid of what it's meaning? So today, as we look at this lesson that we'll be doing, the sermon, um, I want to I really go back to capture what does the cross really mean? What, is the, how, what should you be thinking about when you see that picture? Uh, we're going to look today at Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 45. Luke chapter 23, and I'll be starting to read in verse uh, 32. Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, him being Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, 
He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think if we're going to understand this passage, we have to have a better sense of what crucifixion really is. This horrific method of tor- torture, murder uh, that the Romans used to get rid of elements within their society that they didn't like, that they, that they thought deserved punishment. I have a short two-minute uh, video clip that I want to show right now that will give us a, a good picture of what crucifixion is about. Several tombs were discovered in Jerusalem, dating to the time of Jesus. Within one tomb, they found a stone ossuary, or bone box, with a nail driven through the ankle bone of the buried man. This find is extremely significant, as it is the only known archaeological find of a crucified person. Several intriguing things were learned from this discovery. First, The nail was not driven through the front of the foot, as is often depicted in Art of Jesus, but instead through the side of the ankle, directly through the bone. This means that a separate nail was driven through each foot, with the feet straddling the cross, instead of in front. Archaeologists were also surprised to find wood fragments on both sides of the ankle bone. This has led to the conclusion that the nail was first placed through a wood washer before being driven through the foot and cross. The washer would have prevented the victim or family members from attempting to tear the body from the cross to avoid the excruciating pain of crucifixion. Hanging on the cross, the victim would be forced to stand upon these nails driven through his ankles, alternating with holding his weight up through his outstretched, nailed hands. This process was made all the more painful as the torn flesh on the back from scourging would be pressed to the cross as they alternated between hanging from their hands and standing on their feet. It was common for victims to survive for several days on the cross before dying, making Jesus' death after only a few hours very unusual. It is believed that the victim died from asphyxiation, or in other words, the lack of air, caused from the sheer exhaustion of hanging on the cross. So it gives you a little bit of picture of how horrific uh, crucifixion was. And uh, so this narrative, this story that we had, took place in that environment. And uh, each of the three, Christ and the two robbers that were uh, uh, being crucified as well, would have undergone the same kind of punishment. And so, as that video shared, the uh, victims of crucifixion actually died from suffocation. So what would happen is that they, as they were on that cross with their knees bent, the nails uh, on the sides of their feet, they would have, would have been only three ways that they could support themselves in this kind of position. Either they were pushing up with their feet 
or holding themselves up with their hands or pushing against their back. And each one of them involved just horrible pain for them. Uh, with the nails going through the sides of their feet, it uh, would have made it just r- extremely painful to be holding oneself up from below. And in the uh, scriptures, it talked about how they were going around and they were going to break the legs of the uh, people that were crucified. And they would do that to speed up the process of death because that would make it more difficult for the person being crucified to hold themselves up. And uh, they, by the weight of what they're uh, being held, the reason why they would uh, would put the nail through this area, the wrist area, was that that would allow the bones that are in the lower part of the arm to be what would hold up the body weight as it hung on the cross. And they would actually pierce through the medial nerve that's in that spot, causing just intense pain for the person that was hanging on the cross. And uh, their, their limbs would actually stretch like six or seven inches over this process. So it's just horrible in terms of what was going on. And, uh, and as we think about the fact that Christ did that on our behalf... Uh, should be particularly powerful for us. Now, going back to this story that we looked at, this uh, story of these two thieves that were on the cross, we know from other places in Scripture that they were actually robbers, so they might have engaged in armed robbery or some other reason, but they were uh, criminals. And uh, for whatever reason, the Roman authorities had decided that they would be crucified on the same day that Jesus was crucified. It's interesting, though, is we have two different reactions from these two uh, people that were hung on the cross. One uh, thief that's there sort of scorns Jesus, mocks him, uh, says, why don't you do something about our situation? Uh, Does it very, um, just very much scorns who Jesus really is. And the second thief has a very different response. He recognizes who Jesus is and uh, makes a decision that day that will change his eternity. He... uh, because at the end of that passage, it says that Jesus said to him, you will be with me in paradise. And we're going we're gonna to break that down just a little bit to sort of understand sort of three elements of the story of the thief on the cross that will make, I believe, the story come alive to us. Uh, first thing I want to see in this passage, I want you to see in this passage, is um, starting in, in, verse, uh, in verse 40, the second thief says to the first one, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. So the second thief recognizes, hey, listen, we're getting what we deserve. We deserve to be undergoing this pain that we're experiencing right now as it relates to the crucifixion. And uh, the... Uh, So they were getting a punishment that they deserved. And as I reflected on this, I thought, how much that's like us as well, right? We, uh, We deserve punishment. We deserve punishment because of the bad things that we do. And uh, to put it in context, um, if God's standard is here, none of us can measure up to what his standard is. None of us measure up to who God is. And, uh, you know, and some of us, you're sitting there right now thinking, well, I'm not really so bad. I'm a little bit better off than the guy sitting next to me, right? You know, I'm, I, I don't do the things that that person does. And so our, our tendency is to think, well, you know, it's really not that much of a problem. But if this is God's standard and, you know, this is where I am, I don't measure up to that standard. And you may be above me. You may be ahead of me. But you still aren't measuring up to what, God, what God's standard is. And the Scripture tells us when we look at this, um, we see this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us measure up to what God's standard is. And um, 
It doesn't say all of us have sinned the same amount. It says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we, and it says in Romans 6, 23, it says for the wages of sin is death. The word wages just means the just payment, the, what you get when you do work. So when you, if you get what you deserve, what you deserve is death. And so when you think back to that story of the thief on the cross, we're like that thief on the cross. We deserve death. We deserve to be hanging in the place that Jesus was on the cross because uh, that's where we deserve to die for the sins uh, that we have done, that we've committed. I think there's a little bit of irony in this, though. You think about the response difference between the second thief and the first thief. The first thief scorns God. So here is that thief. He's in utter agony. He's suffering the consequences of the poor decisions that he's made in life for the bad things that he's done. He's suffering in pain from it. And what is his response? He mocks God. He scorns God. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, how often we, ought, we can sometimes have people in our lives who are miserable, who are struggling, who are suffering, and they make fun of you for being a Christian, or they, uh, they um, will mock God or scorn God in some kind of a way, and uh, uh, just find that to be something that has an, a, a significant irony to it. Um, but it's interesting. So we have this thing where the thief recognizes, the second thief recognizes, hey, we're getting what we deserve in this. And if you skip ahead a few verses, you see where it finishes and says, you will be with me in paradise. Christ says, you will be with me in paradise. How does he get from this recognizing the fact that uh, we're getting what we deserve to being in glory someday? I think it's interesting as Christians, uh, as evangelicals in our world today, we sometimes get this idea that um, there's this magic prayer, these words that have to be said in order to get us from a position of, uh, of being lost to a position of being a Christian, right? There's some magic prayer that has to be said. And sometimes, even here, sometimes we'll have people repeat a, a, a prayer at the end of the service. And the idea of it is not that there's magic words that have to be said, but something that we're going to see in this passage that's necessary in order for that promise to be fulfilled, what happens for that second thief is that second thief recognizes Jesus for who he is. And that's essential. And he does it in two ways. First, he says, um, he says about Christ, this man has done nothing wrong. So in the end of verse 41, he says, We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. So he recognizes Jesus as not deserving the punishment that he's receiving. In fact, he recognizes them as being perfect. And the reason why this is important is that in the context of the Jewish religion, uh, this would have had particular meaning. In the Old Testament time period, when a Jewish individual sinned, the only way that that sin could be forgiven, the only way that that sin could be covered up, is if they sacrificed a lamb that was without blemish, without spot. So this idea of the perfect sacrifice, this perfect lamb was sacrificed. So in the minds of the audience watching, this recognition from the second thief is the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God who would be like that sacrificial lamb from the Old Testament. This brings us to this concept, this $10 word, if you would, a theological term, this, uh, and I'm going to throw it out there for you today so that if you're ever in a debate or um, if you're talking to Ricardo or, you know, that kind of thing, you can use this with him. Um, and that is this term, substitutionary atonement. 
right? Those are big words. Let's break them down a little bit. When I say substitutionary, it just means something that takes our place. So if you've been watching Marked Madness, you know, the whistle blows, action on the court stops, the coach sends in somebody else, and somebody leaves the court, that person takes that person's place. That person that comes in is the substitute. And so just like that, this term substitutionary means that something's taken our place. Uh, So when Christ is our substitutionary atonement, Christ has taken our place. And he's done that towards atonement. Atonement means covering up for the sins that we have, paying for, accounting for the sins that we have. So substitutionary atonement means that Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, as the perfect lamb, as the perfect sacrifice for us, covers up, takes our place in covering up for the sin that we have, for paying for the sin that we have, uh, sins that we've committed. Um, we can see this in 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 21, and I will have it brought up on the screen too. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll just look at three verses here, uh, but the whole passage is great if you ever when you get into it. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the key verse. For our sake, that means for us, he, God, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So back to that analogy or that story with the, with the lamb. So back in the Old Testament period, it was the idea that our sins, this uh, lamb whose blood was shed, our sins were sort of put on this lamb. The shedding of blood made it possible for that, those sins to be forgiven. And so then we, we see Christ on the cross, the ultimate Lamb of God, sacrificed on our behalf. So through the shedding of his blood, uh, there's this payment for sin. So in that moment where Christ is hanging on the cross, all the sins of the world were poured out on him. The punishment for those sins are poured out on him. And he took that punishment. He covered those sins through his death on the cross. That's what it means by substitutionary atonement. He took our place. The sin, the punishment that we deserve, like those thieves that were on the cross, we deserve to, have, to be punished for our sins in the way that Christ was actually punished for his sins, or punished for our sins in that moment on the cross. Uh, it's a very powerful uh, picture that this second thief is recognizing. Maybe not in all that depth. <laughs> second thing, though, that he recognized, and you can see it back in that passage in, in Luke uh, chapter uh, 23 again. Um, second thing that he recognizes, and he says, he said to him in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Who has a kingdom? A king has a kingdom. So when the, this thief is making this statement, he's recognizing Jesus for who he is. He's recognizing Jesus as the king, deserving of worship, uh, and having power that's associated with being a king. Each year, around the beginning of the year in the United States, the president of the United States has an opportunity to pardon criminals. And essentially says to the criminal, what you've done uh, I'm going to pardon you. I'm going to allow you to go free from the punishment that you deserve for this action that you did. And that's the, sort of the same picture that's being recognized when uh, the thief is asking to be, rec- uh, to be remembered when Christ goes to his kingdom. Right? The, the, 
He's recognizing that as the king, he has the power of pardoning sin, of forgiving the sins that the second, this thief has committed. And so the, uh, the second thief has recognized two things about Christ that are important. He's recognized Jesus for who he is. He's recognized him as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who's died on his part, uh, place. And the second thing he's recognized is he's recognized him as the king the one who's powerful enough to be able to forgive sin, to be able to pardon for the punishment that he rightly deserves uh, for his sin. And so now, at this point in the sermon, we can recognize that the thief has, uh, has recognized the fact that he deserves the punishment that he's receiving, that uh, he's called on Jesus, he's recognized Jesus for who he is, he's recognized the fact that he's the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God, and uh, the, uh, the one whose death takes his place, the one who's taken on his punishment for him, and uh, recognized him as the, uh, as the king, the one that's capable of forgiving sin, powerful enough of being able to pardon the wrong things that this guy has done. And now we look at the, the promise that he receives. Christ says to him, you will be with me in paradise it was interesting when I was first looking at this passage, the word that jumps out at you is paradise, right? I mean, that sounds like a, a great thing. And, um, you know, obviously when you think about paradise, you might think of some uh, idyllic setting. You have uh, green hills and, uh, you know, streams flowing down through it and all this natural beauty that's with it. And, uh, and I'm sure that's important to this um, and then you think about other elements, and if you ever, and you're listening to the news, and you watch these stories of um, uh, Islamic jihadists who uh, commit uh, uh, suicide, do suicide missions, suicide bombings, and oftentimes what's motivated them is this promise of having X number of virgins in paradise. So the same concept of paradise shows up in other places as well. But the more I looked at this passage, the more I realized that what, the, what Christ is promising, yes, it's paradise, but it's something actually much more important than that. He says to him, you will be with me in paradise. The reward is being with him. And let's see, let me just step back a little bit and help understand why that's important. Why is that the reward? So we jump all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in uh, uh, Genesis. We have the narrative of, of uh, Adam and Eve. In that story, uh, Adam and Eve, it tells, the Bible tells us that God actually communed with them in a way that uh, doesn't happen in the world today. It says that God would come down and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And so you had this intimate relationship uh, between God and man. In fact, God made man, unlike the rest of creation, God made man to be in relationship with him, to have a special bond with him uh, because that's the way God wanted it to be. And what happens there in that story is that he gave them a rule. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, Satan comes, tempts Adam and Eve. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a consequence to it. God comes down and they know that they've done something wrong. And they are guilty. Uh, They feel guilty. They are guilty. And they can't be in the presence of God because of the sin that they have. And so the result of that is that when uh, sin comes, there's separation so God designed us. God wanted us to be in relationship with him. But sin comes and there, man is no longer allowed or able to be in the presence of God because of the impact of sin. So uh, you see this, uh, that 
punishment for sin is separation from God. God banishes them from the garden of being in a position where they can be in relationship with him. Uh, the result is that, is that sin leads to death, as we talked about in that Romans 6.23 uh, passage. But that's not the end of the story. So when Christ says to the uh, thief on the cross, when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise, he's talking about something powerful that happens because the thief recognized Jesus for who he is. The thief recognized the fact that Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice that took on the sins of the world, and that he's the king capable of forgiveness. And in that process has the opportunity to have that relationship with God restored. And we see this a couple times in Scripture. We're going to look uh, at Romans chapter 5, just a couple verses. And again, this whole passage, I would commend it to you, the whole chapter. But we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. That says, Therefore, as one trespass or one sin led to condemnation, condemnation just means that we receive punishment. You've been condemned. You... Um, have a sentence that's been given against you because of the wrong things you've done. So therefore, as one trespass, that one trespass is the sin of Adam and Eve uh, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, led to being condemned for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That act of righteousness described there is Christ dying on the cross. So that one act of righteousness leads to justification. Justification, there's another great theological word for you. But justification just means that God sees us just as if we've never sinned. So God sees us without that sin standing in the way. So that sin that separates us from God, God because of the righteousness, because of Christ's obedience, because he took on the punishment for us that we rightly deserved, it makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Because remember I described it earlier and said God's standard is here and all of us are here. That gap is met by what Christ has done on the cross. God can now have us in his presence again because of the work of Christ on the cross. As long as we've accepted that work and we recognize that work, that we've recognized Christ for who he is, our relationship with God can be restored. It can be like the way God intended it to be when he made us. And then verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, that again of Adam and Eve, uh, the many were made sinners, so the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So again, just talking about the work of Christ, by the fact that Christ's death on the cross, that relationship can be restored, because now we can be in the presence of God, because Christ's righteousness covers all of us. This, the, uh, his blood makes possible the forgiveness of our sins. We also see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 22, which says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Again, that whole restoration of relationship because of the work of Christ. So as we think about this passage of what's happened, we have these two thieves on the cross we have uh, they, the one thief recognizes that, hey, we deserve to be here. And he recognizes the fact that Christ is the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, who's dying on his behalf, recognizes him as the king, uh, recognizes the fact that he has the power to forgive sins. And then he receives this promise, this promise that he will be with him in glory, in paradise. And that's the recognition that there's this restoration of the relationship that uh, God 
has designed for man through the work of Christ on the cross. I was just thinking about this. You know, we're like that thief on the cross. We're deserving of punishment. We need to recognize Jesus for who he is. Desperate for the perfect sacrifice that pays the price for our sins. What will you do with this message of the cross? Will you be like the thief who scoffed at Jesus, who mocked him? He said, what can you do for me? Saw him as weak of deserving criticism? Or will you be like the second thief who saw Jesus as Savior, as the perfect sacrifice and the means through which his relationship, our relationship with God can be restored? I'm going to have the worship team come up now. Just want to challenge us as we think about this. What's going to be your response to the message of the cross? You think about what Christ suffered and went through on our behalf, being the perfect sacrifice for us, and it gives you a chance to really think about, well, what does that mean for me? Think about the fact that that, that's what we deserved. We deserve that punishment for our sin. And instead of receiving that, we have the opportunity to receive something completely different. Life with him. Having our relationship with him restored. What an incredible message of the cross. So now, the next time you see that cross, the next time you see that symbol, next time you're at Carlos and Teresa's house and you see that wall, um, you have a chance to think about that real message of the cross. The fact that in that perfect sacrifice of Christ on that cross, on our behalf, receiving the punishment that we deserved, Uh, There's a message of hope there, of restoration of the relationship that God designed us to be in uh, when he made us. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we, we love you so much. We're so grateful to you that the cross does have the final word, Lord. Rather than the punishment that we deserved, for the sins that we do. Every one of us, every one of us has done things that are wrong. And rather than that punishment that we deserve, you give an opportunity for hope, an opportunity for restoration of of relationship with you. Lord, I just would ask that each person here has made that decision of recognizing you for who you are, of recognizing the fact that your son is the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who died in our place. Lord, you poured out on him the punishment that we deserved. And when we recognize the fact that he's done that for us, when we recognize the fact that that through him is the power, the opportunity for, for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, you've made a promise to us that you will forgive our sins. You will restore that relationship with you. And we get an opportunity to have peace with God because of it. Lord, I just would ask that each person here has just considered that in the heart. And consider that in this Easter season, Lord, what that true message of the cross is. Lord, as as our ushers come forward right now, Lord, we just would ask that um, our tithes, our offerings, Lord, would be used to, to further your kingdom, to live out your radical love in this 
Redlands community. Talk about radical love. What you did for us on the cross, that's the ultimate radical love. And when we seek to be your hands and feet in this community and seek to love on others, that's our way of of sharing your love with them. Lord, I just would ask that as we take this offering now that we'd be able to use it to further your kingdom and to further that expression of your radical love in this community. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.